2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. What a wonderful passage. I, I haven't been in 2 Corinthians in a while. And God just put this on my heart as I was doing a, a, a Bible study. And, uh, uh, you know, it's funny. You, you read the Word of God or a passage 50 times. And that 51st time, God just reveals something to you through that passage. And I'd missed something in this passage. And I, I went through chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And you can piece together what Paul was dealing with and what he was going through in those five chapters. And we're going to look at that briefly this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? This, these are the words of, of God to us and, and the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth of all places as he says this. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage and for these words. And the words to follow, we thank you for Paul's heart and what it means to your people. Help us to learn today. And may you be glorified through our attention to your word. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, Don't Lose Heart. Don't Lose Heart. Do you feel like that dog? <laughs> you know, you have some days like that. You have some weeks like that. You may have some years like that. I hope your whole life isn't that way. But I want to encourage you this morning. As I've looked at the social media posts this week and in recent weeks, I see a lot of discouragement. As, as I look at the pandemic, which is spiking now in Texas, I, I see a lot of discouragement. We've had members that have been in the hospital and are just now getting home. Uh, and I know that there are family members and friends that are still in the hospital today. And I know that that is cause for discouragement. But beside the pandemic, there are other reasons and other issues going on in people's lives. <clears throat> if you've lost your job, you may be discouraged or maybe you just hate the one you have and wish you'd lose it. And uh, maybe you're struggling with relationships or paying your bills or whatever it is in your life. Satan is always there. This fallen world is always there to pound us and to discourage us. And Paul was no exception. He was discouraged. And we're going to look at how God managed to encourage Paul and how he wants to encourage you as well. Do you need some encouragement today? I'll remind you about the old story of a preacher who had pastored a church for some years and he resigned to go to another church. And he had a farewell dinner and they had a big party to encourage um, one another in, in, in the fact that he was leaving. And one of the founding members of the church, a senior adult, was sitting there at the dinner and they started crying and the pastor felt terrible. And he said, don't be sad. The next preacher might be better than me. And she replied, that's what they said when you came, but it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> Are you discouraged? That might be discouraging. We all need encouragement. God knows that Paul certainly understood that. He experienced that. And so we're going to see in this passage that Paul understood some important truths about encouragement. And you'll miss it if you don't link it all together 
And you see what Paul went through and how God met that need. But here's one of the lessons that he learned. I've just got a couple for you today. And the first is this, people matter, people matter. Now I know that that motto, uh, black lives matter or this life matter or whatever is prevalent today. But in, in God's eyes, people matter. You can split them up however you want to, but people matter. If you're black, you matter. You've always mattered to God. If you're white, you matter. If you're redheaded, even you matter. <laughs> people matter to God and people should matter to us. And Paul understood that. People are so important. We are not here alone. People matter. Not just collectively, but also individually. One person can make all the difference. And at this particular time, interestingly enough for Paul, that person was Titus. I'll show you how important it was. If you go back to the passage, he says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened the door for me, let me stop right there in verse 12. He says a lot right there. He went to Troas. Now, I know you, you probably know where Troas is. I had to look it up. It's in what is modern day Turkey, which was the heart. Turkey was the heart of where Paul's ministry was. All those churches like Ephesus and Sardis and Laodicea and so on and so forth are all there in modern day Turkey. And if you're on the western shore of Turkey, up at the very northwestern corner, that's Troas. In fact, when Paul got to Troas in his missionary journey, in order to get to the next stop, which was Greece, he had to take a boat from there. And so that's as far northwest as you can get in Turkey. That's where Troas was. So he'd gone all through there and he's been looking for his friend Titus. And then he says this, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, now, you would expect the next clause to be, so I stayed there for three years because God had opened a door. That just makes sense. That's the opposite of what he actually said. To my shock, he says that the Lord had opened a door for me, and then he said, but I still had no peace of mind because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Now, that begs the question, Who's Titus? <laughs> wow. Paul says, I went there. God provided an open door for me, an opportunity, in other words. People responding to the gospel. And then he says, but I couldn't stay there because I got to find Titus. I needed Titus. Whoever Titus was, he was determined to do whatever he had to do to find him. Many years ago, I told you the story about my little sister. I, my mother and father had five children in six years, and three of us were in diapers at any one time, all redheaded. We grew up in Graham, which is just an hour, hour and a half uh, northwest of here. Small town, seven or 8,000 in population. And I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and back then in small town America, you didn't have these giant Walmarts. We never heard of Walmart or anything like that. We had mom and pop grocery stores. Now there was a United grocery store, which was the big, the big grocery store. But we had, a, we had a little Piggly Wiggly. But then we had other grocery stores that were just named after whoever owned them. And so we often shopped at Crouch's or Cernosics because Mr. Cernosics owned that store. Mr. Crouch owned Crouch's. And so we were at Crouch's grocery store one day. All five of us. 
I don't know how mom did it. Five redheaded little tiny kids running around. Oh my goodness. I don't know, moms, how do you do it? I, with one or two kids in the store. The way I do it is I, you know, I go to work and Cherry go to the store. <laughs> so a typical husband, you know, denial, but bless her heart, five little kids in that store. You can't get them all in the cart. And we had, she had so many kids, that, you know, that cart would just be piled up. So we left there, went home, and just before we got to the house, there's a stop sign just before our street. Mom's sitting at that stop sign in our late 60s Chevy station wagon. It was a big tank, white with a red interior. And mom realized there's only four kids in the car. I was okay with that. You know, we had groceries in the car, you know, they need to put in the refrigerator, go home and take care of that first. But mom didn't do that for whatever reason. She, and I don't know if you've ever driven a late 60s Chevy station wagon, but they're about a mile long. She turned that thing on a dime. She whipped that thing right around. I'm sure it wasn't legal. And went straight back to Crouch's grocery store to get Lori. And uh, when she pulled up, because there were no cell phones, it's the olden days, you know. And she, she had no idea, you know, where Lori was or what had happened to her. And of course, you know, it'd been so long, like, four minutes. <laughs> um, so she pulls up, all frightened, and there's Mr. Crouch, and he's standing there on the porch with Lori, and he had given Lori, apparently she had been crying because she got left, and her fault, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> Mr. Crouch had given her a Hershey's chocolate bar, and all I could remember thinking was, why did she get a chocolate bar? I had the God-given sense to get in the car, and I didn't get anything. But I remember mom, she was so happy when she saw Lori and so determined to find her. Nothing else really mattered. Well, Paul is like that right now with Titus. He's even in a place that people like him, people responding. God is providing there for him. The gospel is advancing and he still left because he needed Titus. Why was Titus so important? Well, Whoever Titus was, and we don't know much about Titus, he was never mentioned in the book of Acts at all. But it was late in his missionary journeys where Paul really started using Titus. And we find his name mentioned 13 times throughout the rest of the New Testament. Most notably, and perhaps the most famous passage is in Galatians chapter 2. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, I won't read it all to you, but Paul went back to the church in Jerusalem. Remember, the gospel is new. And there was this decision among Peter and the apostles early on when, when Paul was in the heart or began his ministries that it was, it was a, an understanding that they had, an agreement that they had that Peter would lead the church for uh, the area of Israel. He would, they would preach, they would focus, he and a number of the other apostles would focus their energy in preaching the gospel to Jews. And Paul would be the one who would preach the gospel to Gentiles. So both Jews and Gentiles were covered. Now you see there's a disproportionate amount of people here. You know, the 12 apostles, including Peter, they're the, they're the big guns. They're the guys that have been around the whole time, not to mention all the followers of Christ, Mary Magdalene and the others, who were no doubt 
participating in sharing the gospel in Israel. And Paul is basically just Paul. Sometimes he had Barnabas, Barnabas, sometimes Timothy, and a few occasions Titus. But Paul was kind of going it alone compared to what the other, the resources that the other apostles had. They also had financial resources and the other churches were very poor. Remember, Paul went back to get an offering. Uh, so, and, and so he's dealing with all of this and, and Paul... Who, who, who showed up late for the game. Do you remember? Paul, when Jesus was crucified, wasn't Paul. His name was Saul. And he wasn't a follower of Jesus. On the contrary, he was a hater. He was one of the very, he was a Pharisee, which was a part of the group that hated Jesus the most or the very ones that had him crucified. That was Saul. And it was only later on that Christ appeared to him one day because after the resurrection of Jesus and Christians and, and the church began to grow, the Pharisees became jealous. And so Paul decided to prosecute and persecute Christians. And so he was going around finding Christians to imprison and have executed. When suddenly on the road one day, Jesus appeared to Paul in a, as a bright light blinded him for three days and said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he had this powerful conversion experience there. Changed his whole life and his own outlook. Changed his heart forever. Changed his heart forever. Changed his destiny and purpose in life forever. Instead of destroying, he went to creating the part of the creation. The part of the creation of Jesus and God in Christ Jesus. So he's named even Paul from Saul, but he's the new Paul. He's the new guy. So as the new guy, he's certainly right. Peter, right? Actually, actually, funny because history is funny because when we think about Christianity all over the world, we think one of the places where Christianity was the least offensive, and that's in Israel. It was actually the journeys of Paul and the, Paul, the, the work of Paul that gives, most, that gives us most of the New Testament, that gives us that, that, that force, that basic evangelistic endeavor in the first century that changed the world. It was the, the Apostle Paul's journeys and his missionary work that would ultimately lead to the, the Roman emperor himself, very centuries later, converting to Christianity, and the Roman Empire would become a Christian, and they would renounce all of those Greek and Roman gods they'd been following all that time. Transformed the world, and it was Paul. So he has a problem. Now, here's what happened. He goes back to them in Jerusalem because the leaders there of the church, i.e. the apostles, they, they're okay with Paul doing his little Gentile thing and they're doing their really important thing of sharing the gospel there to Jews. And he goes back because there's this bias in, this in the church. There's this heresy going around and here's the heresy. There were still many Christians and maybe leaders who believed that you couldn't just go from being a, a Gentile, that is a non-Jew, to, to a faith in Christ. Had to go from a Gentile to a Jew. And then when you were a Jew, you were circumcised and you were uh, obeying all the laws that were required and you were doing the, the Jewish thing, then you could convert to Christianity and be a Christian. 
And that was heresy. Now, Paul and Peter had this little, they'd all agreed that you didn't have to do that, but they were practicing that. So Paul and Peter had this little uh, incident, <laughs> this little argument, so disagreement. So he goes back, Paul goes back to the, to, the, to the Jewish leaders and he says in Jerusalem, he says, this is what happened. I came across Peter and Peter, when he was with me and he was with all the Gentiles who had converted to Christianity, Peter was great. He was, he was accepting them into his home or he was going into their homes. He was, he was all about being free from the law. He was good. He was okay. Everything is okay. You don't have to have the Old Testament regulations in order to be saved. It's through faith in Christ and him alone. And he was great. But then Paul says, some of the Jewish Christians showed up and Peter completely changed his demeanor. He started snubbing the Gentile Christians and he's all pious now and all Old Testament-y and he's hanging around with the Jewish Christians and Paul says, I confronted him to his face. Literally said that. He's talking to the apostles and the church leaders here in Jerusalem and he says, I confronted Peter to his face. Told him what he was doing was wrong. Now, he, he's in the... He's in the the center of Jewish religion. He's in Jerusalem, the, the place, the place, the most Jewish place in the world at the time. And he's there in Jerusalem talking to the, all of these guys are Jewish converts to Christianity. And his implication is, you guys may have some problem with that too. Don't know, but you know what he did? Paul brought along somebody with him who was a convert right there in the synagogues or the homes or wherever he was confronting them. And he brings his buddy with him and his buddy is not a Jewish convert, but a Greek convert named Titus. It would be the same as if you showed up at a Ku Klux Klan rally and you got your hand around a, a friend of yours who happened to be African-American that you brought with you right there at that rally. And, and you say to all the clan members, let's have a big round of applause for my buddy. <laughs> well, that wouldn't go over too well, but Paul was that audacious. He wanted to test their metal. He wanted to test their theology to see if they really believed it or it was superficial like it was for Peter. If he was gonna have to confront them the way he confronted Peter. And by the way, you don't confront Paul. He was formidable but that was Titus. And so Titus and Paul had this connection to one another that was very special. And he needed to find his buddy, Titus. Now, here's the reason why. We're gonna find out Paul was discouraged. Some of you here today, I don't know who, but some of you here, this is the happiest time of your life. Maybe you just fell in love, you just got a great job, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you're on cloud nine. But there are a lot of other people, you're not on cloud nine or cloud five or cloud one. <laughs> you're in the valley and you're having a tough time. Listen to me. By the way, cloud nine people, the valley's coming. <laughs> okay. But I'm happy for you if you're on cloud nine right now. But if you're in the valley, listen to what happens because Paul is in the valley. He's struggling. 
He's discouraged. So we learn this, that God uses people to encourage us. And before I read the next passage, this is really important. So often we don't believe that. We believe that God uses stuff to encourage us. You know, if I only had a million dollars, now we don't say that publicly, but in our hearts, if I had a, oh, if I had a million dollars, oh, my problems would be solved. I'd do this and buy that and take care of this. And if I only had this, if I only had that, if I could only, if I, if I had your looks, or her looks, or his looks. If I, if I was young, as I get older, oh, if I were 18 again. Um, you know, we, we do that. It's all stuff. Paul learned that stuff won't, I know a lot of people, oh, no, I, I know some people. Well, I see a lot of people on TV. They're millionaires or billionaires, and they are miserable. They have all that stuff, the good looks, the popularity, the money, the houses, the cars, and they're still miserable in their life. I'm telling you, that stuff won't give you joy. It won't get you out of the valley, that's for sure. It may be for a few days or a few weeks, but it won't last. Paul understood that God uses people to encourage us, and so he needs Titus. Now, I want, now I want to continue this Stay with me real quick. I want to continue this conversation that he has in chapter two, but interestingly enough, in the very next verse, he, he I'll say chases a rabbit. He chases a rabbit for like four chapters. I mean, he, he gets off on other things, talking about other subjects and dealing with other issues, but he gets back to it in chapter seven, verse five. The, the last verse that I read to you was, so I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Now look with me on chapter seven, verse five. <clears throat> he says this, for when we came to where? Macedonia. Here he picks the story right back up again. This body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. <clears throat> but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted at us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. So Paul says, this happened, this happened, this happened, and my joy was greater than ever. So whatever result, whatever happened, the result was his joy was greater than ever. What if I told you today, if you think back at your life, whether you're 15 or 115, <laughs> if you think back of your life at the, the time of greatest joy, what if I were to tell you today that by the end of the week, God may make your joy even better than that? No matter where you are financially, physically, emotionally or relationally, spiritually, God can bring you to a point of the greatest joy of your life. That's what happened to Paul. So what happened? Well, let's take a look. What does he say? He said, for when we came into Macedonia, it was bad. This body of ours had no rest. I know what that, how that feels, but he says, <clears throat> we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside and fears within, but God who comforts the downcast, who is downcast? 
Paul. Paul was downcast. He's, he's pouring it out here. Not just Paul, but those with Paul. He says, we, we weren't on cloud nine. We were in the valley. We were downcast. So what happened to him in the downcast? He says, <clears throat> but God comforted us by what? The coming of Titus. Boom. It only took one thing. He didn't say, look, <clears throat> these 20 things happened. And it took a year and a half, but things got better. One thing brought him from here to here, and it wasn't a, a, a project. It wasn't a place. It wasn't amount of money. It was a person. Once Titus showed up, man, it just got so much better. Now that tells me that you are powerful. You can change people's lives. Jesus called you believers, the light of the world. Now that's sharing the gospel with them, but even with other believers, you can light up the room when you walk in. You can take their terrible time and make it a wonderful time. You can turn their sorrow in the, into joy. You have that power because the Holy Spirit resides within you. Titus, I don't know much about him, but when I get to heaven, I'm gonna look him up. <laughs> Because he's quite a guy. Uh, and so he says that. He comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now listen to what else he says. And not only by his coming, <clears throat> but also the comfort you had given him. Now let me, let me stop right there. They comforted Titus by sharing with Titus their concern for Paul. It's basically what happened. But here's, here's how it worked. They comforted Titus and then Titus comforted Paul. God used one group to comfort a person and that person then comforted another person. God may be bringing comfort to you today and this week through another individual so that you can in turn go comfort somebody else and encourage them. Listen to me, don't break the chain. <laughs> don't be the bad link. The comfort of God and the encouragement of God should not die with you. God expects and desires for you to take that joy that he's given you through somebody else, that word of encouragement, that mountaintop experience, and take that and share it with someone else. Bring it forward to somebody else in their life. That's not a 21st century concept. That's a first century concept because that's exactly what happened with this church and with Titus or through Titus to Paul. And so that's what happened. I think that's wonderful. So what was it that increased Paul's joy so much? How did it come to this? We're going to find out. Actually, it's between chapter two and chapter seven. You go there, you're going to find out. So look with me. First of all, we see that Paul has hope. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, he says this, therefore, by the way, this is the next chapter after chapter two, therefore, since we have such a hope. So he says this word, therefore, over and over again in the book. And he says, because of this, this happened. Because of this, this happened. Therefore, this happened. Here he says, therefore, since we have such a hope, a hope of our salvation, the hope of, uh, of forgiveness of our sins. He says, because we have this hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face and get the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Hope in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in our life. 
the hope of forgiveness, of salvation. And so here he's sharing this beautiful description here about Moses. And I've told you before, Moses went up on the mountain and he's standing literally in the presence of God, in the glory of God. And the glory of God altered his physiology. I don't get that. It, you know, our best description or comparison would be if, if, you're, if you're in a place of high radiation, that radiation will infect you. And if you come away from that radiation, you, you, even when you're away from it, you still are, you have that radiation on you. Well, Moses was literally in the presence of the glory of God and the glory of God soaked into him somehow. I, I, don't, I can't explain it, but the guy was glowing. He was glowing in the dark. He comes down to the mountain, he's glowing. You know, like a light bright kind of thing. I don't, I don't know, but he's glowing, literally glowing. Now he knows because he's no longer in the presence of the glory of God. It's not going to last, it's going to fade away. And he doesn't want them to see him fading. He didn't want them to see the glory fading from him. So he lets them all see him glowing in the dark. And then he puts a veil on so they can't see his face anymore. That's what he's talking about. Now, Paul says, you know what? With us, it's different. It, it just gets brighter, the glory of God. And so he makes that example and he says the radiance was fading away, but hope in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in our life, the, the forgive, uh, forgiveness of our sins, the salvation. He says, because we have such a hope, we are very bold. Secondly, he tells us that we have purpose in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. A again, they were disheartened, so here's what would kept them from becoming disheartened. They have purpose. We have this mercy through this ministry. Because of this ministry, we don't lose heart. If you don't have a purpose in your life, if you don't sense that purpose or follow that purpose, you're just, listen to me, young people, you're just getting through the day. You're just loitering through life. You're never going to have any hope. You're going to be depressed every time. If that's all you're doing. When you and I think about purpose, I want you to think about purpose through ministry. And ministry is more than just being nice to people. It's connecting humanity to their God. It's connecting creation to their creator. We are facilitators in this world of bringing people into the presence of their God. That's ministry. And that purpose in and of itself is encouraging. There's no, I can, I, some of you know this, there's nothing I could tell you that is more encouraging to me when I have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody. Sometimes they come into my office, that happened recently. Sometimes it's when I'm out visiting someone. Sometimes it's completely unexpected. But the Holy Spirit works on people. And when I sense that he's working on people, not that I'm any great evangelist, but when I sense that and I share the gospel, man, once they, once they hear the gospel, especially if they end up surrendering their life to Christ, you talk about cloud nine. I don't care about my money or what's in my bank account or what my age or health is or my looks or anything else. Somebody came to Christ and I got to be a part of that. That's exciting. And it was to Paul as well. That's, 
ministry. That's our purpose. So they did not lose heart. Also, Christ himself in 2 Corinthians 4, 9, 4, 7, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's our body to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. Paul says in all of their hardships, he sees the power of God at work. They're still here. They're still moving forward. They're still being blessed in their life. <coughs> so maybe you have COVID. If you have it, uh, try not to shake any hands on your way out. <laughs> or maybe you just had it and you're still weak from it. Or maybe you have a friend or family member that's struggling really bad physically or financially, whatever it is, and you're struggling. I want you to know, in a word of encouragement, through Christ, you might be pressed, but you are not crushed. You might be perplexed, but there is no need to despair. You may be persecuted, but you are not abandoned. God is with you. You might be struck down, by all these afflictions in your life, but you are not destroyed because the one who created the world is alive in you. This is the heart of encouragement. By the way, it is not about you. It's not about me. It is about Jesus Christ in your life and in this world. I confess I didn't watch the Olympics. <clears throat> I went alone. It was the lowest watched Olympic uh, um, Olympics in in the last thirty three years. People just didn't watch n n from this country. Do you know why? Now <clears throat> NBC, I think that was the host uh, uh, host network that that had the Olympics. Before the Olympics started, when they were doing the trials, we had some folks just a few that decided to use the, the ceremony time and the playing of the national anthem to promote their cause. Now, this is forbidden in the Olympics because every Olympics, there are people that have causes. And I'm not going to belittle their cause, whatever the cause is, because there are some great causes. You realize that in every Olympics that we have, people come from countries where they are horribly oppressed. They are brutal regimes that the Olympians themselves are threatened and their families back home are threatened. That it, 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 hardly ever does an Olympics go by that when it's all over, somebody doesn't defect from their country because they're not allowed to leave their country and they finally get to leave for the Olympics. They don't want to go home because things are terrible back home. That is not the case here, certainly. Those who protested our country get to come and go all they want to. It's odd that they don't recognize the beauty of their freedom in this nation. But Olympics is all about representing your country. It's the United States against those awful Russians or those Chinese, you know, and we want to, yeah, we want to get them. And so we tune in, yay. And the last thing we want to see is one of our athletes representing us that refused to stand and honor the national anthem. We don't want to see that. So we just didn't tune in. Isn't that interesting? Now, here's the thing. 
Those people who are doing that, they believe that they are the righteous ones, that they're doing what they're doing out of conviction and out of purpose, and that's the righteous thing to do. And I've told you before, it doesn't matter who you are, sitting here today or in the local prison for murder, or you're an athlete standing on the podium, everybody's righteous anymore. We all righteous. Everybody thinks we're righteous. We're the righteous one and we are got to condemn this and not condone that and slander this and tell everybody about what terrible plight I'm going through because I'm the righteous one. We all feel that way. They, us, everybody. But here's the thing. Listen to me. Young people, a million years from now, you won't remember that person's name or their protest in the Tokyo Olympics, Olympics, because a million years from now, you won't even remember the word Olympics or what that was. But the name of Jesus Christ will still be praised. All of this stuff in the world is temporary and insignificant compared to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you want to protest, be sure you protest what's important. If you want to live for something, be sure you live for what is most important in life. I went to a funeral this week of a man that I do not know. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You go to a funeral of somebody you don't know? Now, he had been here in our church a few times. I had met him on a couple occasions, but I didn't know him. His name is Charles Massey. He was like around 90 years old, 89, 90. But why I don't know Charles, and you probably don't know Charles, you know some of Charles's family, or at least some of you do, because he has a sister named Lucy Carter that is a faithful member of our church. In fact, Lucy who herself has many physical challenges. She's a tough lady, but um, she's had a, had a tough time recently physically. <clears throat> Lucy has been a member of our church for a better part of the last century. She is the only one, I think probably the only one left who, who has been in every building this church has had, in every phase. Been here a long time. Earlier this year, Lucy, now she's lost her brother. She had lost a sister. She didn't lose her. Her sister passed away, who was a faithful member of First Baptist Church. Also, as long as Lucy was, her name was Marcella Beaver. Now, while you may not know Charles, some of you remember Marcella. When Cherry and I came here, Marcella and her husband Bill were faithful members of the church. And you may not know this, but in my first few years here at First Baptist Church, decades ago, my ministry almost didn't survive. Cherry and I were discouraged, and rightfully so. There were a few people in the church at the time, again, a long time ago, who were being very difficult and didn't care for us very much and what I was doing in the church and what God was doing in the church. And they were upset about it, and we were discouraged and we were almost to the brink of resigning. But then there was Marcella. Marcella loved her pastor. And I think it's more accurate to say Marcella loved her, her pastor's wife. <laughs> she loved Jerry, loved her, loved us both. And Marcella was formidable and she was fiercely protective of us. Mar Marcella was 
She was our Titus. No other way to say it. She was put in our path at a time we so desperately needed a Titus. Now listen to me. You go out this week and you be a Titus for somebody else. And you may find that you're on cloud nine faster than you thought you could ever get there. Because there's a blessing in being a Titus. Somebody is really discouraged today and they need you. And God has put you in their path to bless them and to help them out of the valley. Be Titus this week. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for the Tituses of the world. For Paul. Paul, who was, was somebody we think of as being rock-solid, mature believer, who himself had witnessed the presence of Christ in his life, literally blinded him. And yet even Paul, in all of his faith, needed a Titus. And we're certainly no different. There are times in our life we need that. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to look not to money or to popularity or to, to jobs or, or whatever it is. That we would understand that what helps us out of the valley are people that you send to help us. Let us listen to them. Let us lean on them. So that when we are no longer discouraged and we are out of the valley, that we can be a Titus for someone else. Help us not to break the chain, but to be a strong link as we share your glory and your joy and your purpose and your son with others around us. As we're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning? Will you sit there and say, Lord, this week, I'll be a Titus. Just between you and your God, you, listen to me, you have more power than you know. You have the power to change lives because the spirit of the living God is in you. Be a Titus. Could be God is calling you to make a decision this morning. Maybe you want to come down and pray for somebody. Your first step as a Titus is to lift them up in prayer. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you don't have that joy in your life and you never will. So you just ramble around looking for some great cause that really isn't a great cause at all and won't be remembered in a million years. And you need to put your life in something that matters, something that truly lasts, and that is Christ in him alone. I want you to know that God loves you. Oh, he loves you. And he doesn't want you to be separated from him. He doesn't want you to wander and drift in life. He wants to give you joy and purpose and hope in heaven. And he can give you that only through Christ can you find it. And you need to come down and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ today. And maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church and to share your light and be a Titus in this place, in this community through this church. If God is leading, if the Spirit is leading, if He's not leading, don't. 
But if the Spirit is leading you to join, you need to join. Just come down and say, Pastor, we want to become a part of this fellowship. That's all you have to do. If God is leading right now, here's your opportunity. Would you stand? No one's looking around as everyone stand. All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. Right now, as we pray, you come.